Welcome to Joiners, the podcast with Tim and Danny, where each week we explore the world of hospitality by chatting with its most colorful characters. So this intro gave us a little bit of a, of a challenge. Yeah, yeah. You might notice that this week's guest is not tied to any particular concept or Business. restaurant <laughs> or really anything. It, He's untethered. And, yeah, you, and it's because you can't put this guy in a box. You can't. When we talk about the colorful characters uh, in the intro, Rob is exactly the person to which we are referring. Yes. Um, we're talking about Rob Lapata, this week's guest. Um, and, you know, like, I think we kind of talked about it with Sula and Nick Kimmelsberger and Ronnie. Um, but it's like there are these people out there who dedicate a lot of time and energy to basically shining a light on these cultural foodstuffs and these regional cuisines uh, that people don't really know much about. Um, and Rob has done many a deep dive um, from topics ranging like carne and sahugo, New Jersey tomato pies, tapache, a uh, whole hog barbecue. You know, he's got a vast, uh, you know, quantity of knowledge uh, <laughs> about various foods. And it's just like super interesting to hear uh, from him and like the different experiences that he's had. Right. He's not a guy who's on payroll to go out and find these places. He's just a general enthusiast who really loves what he's doing. And it's it's a hobby for him to go out and find these things that are kind of uh, hidden gems or not not in the spotlight, but are like Danny said, cultural phenomenons. And and that was very cool to hear about. Yeah. Um, and also, if you if you listen to the whole episode, you'll catch a little bit of a, a fun fun exercise <laughs> uh, that has to do with a Fernet coin, a Fernet Easter egg. So <laughs> yeah. listen carefully. That I may or may not have had on me. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, without further ado. Please enjoy our conversation with Rob Lapata. So welcome to the studio, Rob. You know, Rob is... Welcome in. Is it as glamorous as you expected? Uh, my expectations have been dramatically met, especially with your sound uh, proofing <laughs> here. It looks like it's been done, you know... It's your L.A. stuff, right? <laughs> if you need proof that the soundproof works, listen to episodes one and two and then listen to three. I think that's where it kicked in was three. Yep. And it, it makes a huge difference. It did. My uh, business partner, Chris, gave me a lot of, a lot of shit for how it sounded really? the first two episodes. It sounded like we were recording in a bathtub. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I've been talking about Rob for a long time to Tim. And, uh, you know, I think the question on some people's minds is, you know, who is Rob? Who's Rob Lapata? It's a Bill Brasky situation. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Bill Brasky. Um, yeah. So, tell us, you know, introduce us yourself. Well, yeah. first of all, you're you're saying who's Rob Lapata, and I'm still asking that question in a big way. So I don't know <laughs> if I should just walk out right. No, now. I think that's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Rob taught me a lot about food. I don't, you know, my food education kind of started with Rob. Um, how did you guys meet? We met through, I guess through Ronnie through LTH. I mean, through the Whistler. You want the real story? Yeah. Rob has Here a better memory probably than I do. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> From the beginning. Now, every week, Ronnie Kaplan, his wife, my wife, Christina, Trixie P. Trixie P. Would go into the Whistler first in the door basically we used to routinely do that and so while you guys were oftentimes setting up getting ready in the first hour or so um we would just be having drinks and talking about food between ronnie and i would talk about all the different restaurants and stuff and what our interests you know how things were going down uh at that time and and uh danny was a what would you call b2 or B3? yeah b2 yeah or b3 maybe no i think i was started as a b2 i think i b3'd sometimes you were washing dishes yeah exactly i was not making Polisher. cocktails on yeah. the main well yeah. yeah yeah so so um we would be talking and this is when you were working with paul mcgee and Paul, if I'm not mistaken, would instruct you guys not to talk to the patrons. <laughs> I think, well, I think to clarify, I mean, perhaps, but there's one story just for that, Danny. Uh, yeah, just for me. <laughs> but there was one story that you 
you told me, I think, where you were trying to hang out with me outside of work or something. And like there was like some skepticism about it from from Paul or something. This is magnificent. <laughs> <laughs> this is magnificent. You, you've told this story to me. No, what I how I tell it. He would hear he would hear Ronnie and I talking about all this stuff. And then one night, I don't know how many times into it, he's like, Hey, would you guys take me out to lunch sometime? Wow. Danny. And we're right. and we're like, Absolutely. No, you know, no no question. We'll talk. And then the next time we came in Paul was like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, we have this, you know, we're like, what are you talking about? That's phenomenal. That's probably why you have the best, you know, staff that we know of, the Whistler, why we come in here. The the types of people are very interesting and they're engaging. And so uh, then we went out to a Yemeni restaurant, I think. Yeah, that was the first one. Yeah. What was it? It was a, it was a Yemeni a restaurant. It was called Yemen, right? I don't recall, but it was up on Elston and uh, I don't know Wilson or something. Yeah, it was not oh, a yeah. great. What's Yemen meal. cuisine like? Uh, Middle Easternish. I mean, right. I'm going to leave that to you. It's <laughs> it's, it's you know the East African uh, variant, but this was this is basically an area that was a small enclave of uh, Yemeni uh cab drivers and so there were a lot of cab drivers that would go into these places and stuff and i don't know where they're at now because they were really shoestring type places and i have no idea not living in chicago anymore where they're at if they're still around if they've grown if you know what's happening so yeah but rob's job basically was knowing exactly what was happening in the food scene throughout the chicagoland area and his knowledge of it was extremely deep extensive was this documented on lth forum that's where pretty much started yeah um what's the joke about lth jews that eat pork (laughs) (laughs) i think that's fairly accurate (laughs) never heard that one but that's it's probably something you said that that's that's where the lth comes from (laughs) yeah exactly yeah so yeah it's my uh Digging in deep with checking out what the city had to offer in a real sense was started from LTH. There was a community of incredible, what I thought were incredible, you know, lots of academics, culinary type of, you know, people that took their own approach to um, food. And it was very interesting at the time when we started in about, I'm sorry, 2005. Uh, the types of people that were drawn to it at that stage. Mm-hmm. So you you had a really big array of voices within that. And um, what was really great about LTH at that time is it was started as an offshoot of Chowhound, the National Chowhound Group. And it, that was um, basically established and run by forces in New York who didn't want any sort of social interactions between the users and yeah for like you think it was like liability probably i couldn't really tell you i wasn't involved in that and i've never really inquired i've just heard that the chicago uh interested parties always wanted to get together Mm -hmm. and they were saying not not good and so they one way or the i don't know the exact details they established lth as a um, a new entity. And yeah. so they were able to do a lot of uh, events that they otherwise wouldn't have. And so um, my wife, Trixie, and I um, got to go into these things pretty early and met some interesting people there. And one thing led to another. And uh, as far as my take on how what I had to say... I usually went pretty much down a rabbit hole, something that I thought was really, really interesting that I came across and usually learned from somebody else. Yeah, I mean, tell the story of Carne and Zahugo. <laughs> so you want me to tell talk about the dish? Sure, yeah. Explain, the, the, I guess, what it is and con- then how you went deep. Yeah, so Carne and Zahugo is, is a um, soup stew uh, primarily found in Jalisco, the state of Jalisco, uh, meat in its own juices. And uh, it's 
very regional type of dish. But what's fascinating about Conde and Sahugo is if you go outside of Chicago, whether you're in L.A. or Texas or whatnot, you, you'll find this dish, but you have to really hunt for it. But here in Chicago, you go to the South Sides, and there's literally hundreds of uh, mm-hmm. people that make this for one reason or another. So it's a very, very Chicago-centric um, dish. And um, I was introduced to this dish by a guy uh, named uh, Tony Buccini, who's a very, very, very good uh, culinary historian. And uh, he just kind of mentioned it, that he, you know, he, he saw it, and we were doing a beefathon. <laughs> he was on, you know, one leg of the beef thon and I just started talking to him and he mentioned it. So yeah. wait, what's the beef thon Oh, I thought somebody <laughs> talked about the beef beef thon recently that you had Is on. Is that the twenty four hour oh, situation? Yeah, that's right. That's right. No, a beef thon was like basically, okay, a group of us are gonna go out and check out six or eight uh beef stands and you know raid them <laughs> oh. and you know just beef yeah <laughs> let's bring yeah. back the beef <laughs> yeah. a great merch opportunity i just love to explain it like we knew what the beef was oh, oh of course oh i thought everybody knew what the beef was <laughs> is beef the primary carne and suhugo meat yes if we're looking at a pie chart is that that's got the lion's share exactly okay. it's a chopped steak bacon mm. bacon uh beans in a beef broth and oftentimes uh top with radish uh mm. onion cilantro. Like, cilantro. like a pozole yeah well the, topping wise i guess exactly yeah. so you know biria mm-hmm. and carne and sahugo and the, yeah these are this is the same class yeah so yeah rob went to discover you know this dish and uh a carne was, yeah a carne and suhugo a carne pilgrimage <laughs> yeah exactly and uh it was very methodical i mean it took a very long time tricks read what you were going you know she proofread what you were going to put up right sure so yeah i mean how what was the process how many places well know, i often whatever. like to say the first half of my life i really didn't have a job my job was doing this so I always kind of was out every day trying out new places one way or the other. And once I started getting with the LTH situation and I had a purpose food wise, I would just go out every day and check out, you know, one or two of these places, maybe even three a week. And, um, oftentimes I do this with another gentleman, um, in town here who I think is a Marvel, uh, named Peter Angler. Uh, and Peter was a wealth of, information again that i would never have known and we would just you know partners in crime go out and rip up the city and all the neighborhoods and um so when i got down on the carne and suhugo we'd often go together just doing you know a number of these places painting the town red yeah i mean you should check out this post uh, yeah it's still live we'll, we'll post LTH. the post yeah. Cool. So, we're, how were you documenting it? Were you? Do you guys have notebooks? Were you taking pictures at the time? Yes. I guess every, what what year is this? This is. Uh, this is, uh, I'm guessing, six, 2006. Okay. Yeah, so we're talking in a completely different era altogether than when I was listening to your last podcast or, you know, the the world of what people are doing today has evolved so much and specializing is a beautiful thing to me mm-hmm. um, when you start hearing people talk like that because it was very, very rare, you know, in those times, no matter what you dug into, that you would ever be able to talk to somebody in a specialized sense who knew that much about it. Not that they weren't out there, but they weren't, it wasn't a movement like you see today. Did you eventually like get burnt out? I mean, you said you were doing so many places so frequently. Now you obviously don't live here. Was there ever a period at which you were, you know, getting exhausted? Well, I did that for a number of years in a number of ways. And I never got burned out with it while I lived in Chicago. And, yeah. And one of the reasons why I've recently left Chicago is because I did get burned out. That was not the way that I wanted to, you know, attack food. Food's always been really important to me either as a, you know, cooking it in my youth or you know doing this type of stuff so the new incarnation you know was it took me another direction in the last few years so this is something that i did you know like i said starting you know probably about 2005 until 
pandemic. Yeah. <clears throat> so switching gears for one sec, you know, sticking in the LTH realm, what are some, uh, some funny stories, uh, that have come out of it so, through your experience <laughs> from the LTH yeah, through community, the, through the LTH community. Oh man. Okay. Liability, uh, losing. <laughs> no, no, we can edit anything <laughs> out. We can edit anything out. Speak candidly. I mean, yeah. Um, like for me, the urinator comes to mind. Oh, the urinator. Well, that's not that urinator was you was kind of post. I, mean, I got an yeah. abbreviated version of this story. And then Danny said, well, we'll get the full story when we have Rob in the studio. So. <laughs> okay. But are you talking about urinator one or urinator two? <laughs> a second urinator? <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, I think you're talking about urinator one. Yeah. The con barbecue. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Okay. All right. Let's hear it. <laughs> okay. This is really not an LTH story, but. Well, it, it involves the LTH people. All LTH people, yeah. except for the. Uh, victim i don't know what to- <laughs> <laughs> so this is this is really really tremendous and i'm just gonna say right now the victim is a hell of a nice guy i remember him we yeah. had a really good okay well, uh whistler he's like a tiki uh, night paul's last tiki night, night or yeah tiki night this is my recollection and yeah. correct me if i'm wrong <laughs> uh paul was having one of his book club tiki yeah, nights yeah and uh, Ronnie Kaplan and, you know, us, we would always be there for those things. Loved it, you know, front and center. And things are flying and people are drinking. And then we're getting rip-roaring drunk, having one of the best nights ever in the cocktail <laughs> experience. <laughs> Paul's Tiki Nights were legendary. But there was some guy who was basically sidling Ronnie and just picking his brain and eh, having a good time. And was just getting absolutely smashed and he he um asked if he could join us for dinner because he heard we were going to go up to devon and go to con barbecue and you know it sounded really great to him and so oh sure okay whatever and he jumps in the car and he's just flailing in the car like (laughs) can we paint a picture of this patron age age probably upper 20s okay so a young pup a young enthusiastic pup. young pup. Absolutely. Young pup who was in the industry, worked mm-hmm. in the... We're not mentioning it, but he yeah. was in the industry. No, I don't know if you knew him or anybody knew him. Yeah, really. we didn't know him. We no. just knew yeah, the you stab- guys didn't know me at the time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 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 All right. So young industry guy, enthusiastic. Yeah. Uh, and so we're, we're driving up to have dinner and we get to the Con Barbecue on Devon and, and Western and... This guy can't even leave the car. So we're like, okay, we better just leave him. So <laughs> Danny, Ronnie, another group, I'll go in, have a swell dinner. And we come out and open the door. And we see this young guy's got his pants halfway down. And he's peed all over the car. And Danny's, Danny's the first one to see is, is literally rolling on the sidewalk thinking that this wasn't some... He, he had some... I don't know how far you want to go with this, but yeah, you had some other ideas. Yeah, yeah, I doctored the story a little bit. <laughs> who's, who's car? Ronnie's. R- Ronnie's uh, Escalade. Okay. So, so we, we recently got clarity on the nickname Ronnie Suburban. Danny had erroneously told me that it was because he yeah, drove a Suburban. I, no, that's wrong. That is not yeah. incorrect. Yeah. It was inspired by the country music artist Keith Urban. Yep. And Ronnie's pseudonym, Ronnie Suburban, Suburban, came out of that. Exactly. Yeah. Got but it. He, I think, regrets that dramatically because nobody ever got the reference, <laughs> even though it was brilliant. You know, it was a brilliant idea. Yeah. So that's Urinator 1. What yeah. was the Urinator 2? I forget. Urinator 2, you weren't involved in. But, <laughs> so I don't know if we really care to hear that. But, no, it's good. Yeah, yeah, let's uh, hear it. Oh, Urinator 2 was uh, actually, I think it involved, uh, if my recollection is correct, Mike Sula, yeah, okay. Trixie, Christina Meyer, and I were out having a beer at a place that I do not remember the name, but it was... Uh, well known at the time on division yeah and somehow we look down and this guy is oh oh you're year- talking about deville are you talking about the deville story <clears throat> it didn't happen at deville oh it didn't it no. just that maddie or brad was the one telling the story about that's it. right oh god it's sorry i do know you know this story okay I so know. i i will tell you maybe you could help me with the name of the place but maddie eggleston who was one of our besides you and i'm not just saying this because i'm on but besides you he was what we used to call our hall of fame bartenders <laughs> these guys 
were absolutely aces in the day and a breath of fresh air. And after we tell the story, maybe we could talk about that because I think that's a you know a good angle of. All right. But but uh, Maddie Eggleston was behind the bar, and all of a sudden we see this guy peeing in his. Oh, at Bangers and Lace. Bangers and Lace. Yeah, sorry. Ah. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Okay. So we're not going to mention any names, and I guarantee any, anybody <laughs> yeah, who needs, who wants to know, already knows. I know exactly who this is. Right. We just talked about <laughs> yeah, this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so anyway, that's Urinator too. Oh, you were there, too, so you were there for that? Yeah. What's that? You were there for that? Well, I got to be honest with you. I don't know if they ever knew, but I was definitely the one that was like, "Fuck this! <laughs> this guy is." Doing this to a, a bar, I take bars as temples. You were I the mean, whistleblower. I was the whistleblower. The urinator whistleblower. <laughs> the whistle seer and the whistleblower. <laughs> this episode of Joiners is brought to you by Stock Manufacturing, makers of fine hospitality workwear. You obsess over the details in your space, so why stop at your staff's uniforms? Stock has something for every aesthetic. From fine dining to a corner cafe, they've got you covered. Choose from in-stock ready-to-wear options or design the perfect custom uniform for your team. For more information, visit stockmfgco.com. Oh, oh my man. goodness. So anyway, yeah, that was with Mike Sula, I believe. So, so there's a good segue with Mike Sula. Now, you filled in for Mike Sula um, <laughs> for uh, writing a review, I believe. <laughs> Mike was so kind as to say... It's a great segue. <laughs> I think you might have something to say. Why don't you write something? Okay. So uh, and you, I did At this some... point, you were a trusted writer. You'd been contributing to the LTH forum. He knew your diction. Yes. He wasn't, it wasn't like a, you know, it wasn't random. Like. I think he liked the combination that I was a complete dick. <laughs> okay. I had something to say. I.e. honest, right? I, yeah. And um, I don't know. Maybe you could re-interview him and ask, but he was intrigued enough to ask me to do, you know, a few things. So um, for the most part, I did not do review writing. I do piece writing from what I remember. And I didn't do that many, but I did about, I think... Maybe four or five of them. Okay. Uh, yeah. So that was the connection. But um, Mike was a, one of the earliest guys that we did meet. It was at the very first event that we ever went to on LTH. He took a tremendous liking to Christina, my wife. I'm not so sure he cared about me. <laughs> <laughs> but he initially. But he loved Christina, and they became very very tight and had a long illustrious friendship and we all did a lot of you know stuff together uh we would oftentimes accompany mike on reviews and do road trips and food everything food related cool where were some of these food uh road trips we i i could tell you we went to uh middle tennessee for the barbecue uh between memphis and nashville yeah. Do you want to tell the story of what you wrote this incendiary uh, <laughs> article or review that you wrote? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, or a chance to defend yourself, yeah, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> I, I assume you're talking about this wasabi review, right? <laughs> <laughs> you're a great guy, right? Really, really. Seriously. Okay. I'm going to be taking off my headphones now. <laughs> uh, wasabi was a... This was... Uh, in an era that I was really, really pumped about ramen. Yeah. I think it was 2009. And so uh, Sula asked me to do some reviews with the new ramen places that were hitting the town at that time. Did you do any others? Or that was the first one and the last Honestly, one? Honestly, this story is so traumatic. To me, that I can't remember. I, I do believe I did two or three others. Well, we'll find some resolution. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I've, I've got it up here. Uh, the, the title, <laughs> the title yeah, is. Tim's going to read the whole review. <laughs> I won't. But the headline is Wasabi Wastes of Veteran Skills. We've got it dated February 24th, 2011. 11. So, okay. Um, yeah, I don't think that we're not trying to. You know, call you out. Yeah, I think it's cool yeah, that yeah. you wrote I what you felt. You. I've seen your work before. <laughs> yeah. I see what you. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
No, See, but I, just I, the process. Yeah, you don't have to say what even it said. But more oh, like basically, the, you know, I went in and I got a very cold. Here's the thing about the ramen places. Um, the thing that struck me the the time that I spent in Japan was when you walk into a restaurant, no matter how lowly or high it is, you're walking into somebody's house, and you get a yeah. you get a greeting. It's there's something there's a connection really strongly. When I walked into Wasabi, it was exactly the opposite, and it really just immediately struck me uh, in a deep way from a hospitality perspective exactly Hmm. exactly and then on top of it i just i really was indifferent to the ramen to say the least and at that time i was you know like i said i didn't do many reviews and i certainly didn't do many reviews in which i would be have animosity about it and in this case i did and i let it fly (laughs) and what was the response from sula well, Sula loves train wrecks. <laughs> Sula eats something, and that's probably, if you were to ask him, the number one thing. I want as many train wrecks from this guy as possible. No, I don't know. But, but he, he, he loves train wrecks. So um, I think he probably really enjoyed it and just ran with it. He's a tough guy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't think he... Did he get any pushback? No. I think yeah. Wasabi was brand new at the time, yeah, too. He, like, they were still finding their footing. And he think. loves to say that the, your one review for, for the reader got more reaction than any of the things that he, <laughs> he had was written. jealous as hell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it eclipsed his entire career. <laughs> yeah, just that one review. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. But, yeah, I mean, you... Yeah, you've done a lot of exploring places and putting places on the map, not necessarily in a negative way, uh, mostly in a positive way. Thank you for saying that. Do you want to uh, talk about your relationship with Zaragoza, maybe? Oh, well, I have to say it would be grossly unfair to not give credit to Peter Angler for that, who I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Um, Zaragoza... uh, Peter Angler was approached by a guy named uh, John T. Edge, who's the used to be the director of uh, the Southern Foodways Alliance, which is a prominent uh, culinary Southern culinary you know uh, uh, association or what. Yeah, and he had read Peter's work on LTH and was absolutely intrigued by it with Southern Gateways stuff related to. Uh, a lot of the things that he was finding on the south side. So he touched base with Peter and asked him to show him around Chicago. And Peter graciously asked me and Mike Sula to go. And so the four of us went. And John T. Edge is probably the the most together food guy I ever met. He's funny, just charming, knowledgeable, one of the best food writers. If you haven't read his stuff, his books, he's elite. And it was a real treat meeting him. It was the first time I'd never even heard of him. But we, were, we had done this big day doing all this stuff. And we were pretty much wrapping it up. And um, uh, if I recall, John was in town to check out Bayless's um, Bidia. Hmm. Hmm. That was the reason he came in. And as we were driving down Pulaski, nor- northbound, uh, Peter goes, well, you know, um, I... St- saw this sign the other day uh, from the bus. It says uh, Tetamare Bidia, and you don't really see that very often. I don't know if you guys are interested, you know, as a 15th stop to go check this out, but it might be. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we jump out of the car, and it's about 4, 4.30, and we go to open the door, and there's this young guy behind there kind of cleaning up, and we're like, he's like, oh, we're closed. And he sees the disappointment in us, and he's like, come on in. Mm-hmm. So it so he shows us in, and we all just were blown away by the Bidia. And basically, both of those guys wrote some incredible pieces early about the Zaragoza uh, restaurant, and it took off from that. And from that, I've been really, really fortunate to have formed a great uh, relationship with the family they're very very warm people yeah they're everything that you look for in a restaurant organic uh i mean organic as human beings they're real 
they're loving, and it all comes out in their food. Mm-hmm. And there's no question that it's my favorite restaurant in Chicago, just in so many ways. Yeah. But um, <clears throat> John Sr., Jr., and Norma, the, you know, Mrs. Yeah. And they're just a wonderful family. Yeah. I think Zaragoza, I think after we stopped recording, he talked about how much that Sula piece did for the business. I think that that really helped put it on the map. So yeah, it's a I, mutual relationship. And I know beneficial. something that we've talked about in the past, um, which is kind of relevant to this conversation. It seems like you put a lot of focus on these kind of unsung restaurants, maybe more casual dining establishments. What what pushed you away from like wanting to check out high end fine dining? Like where was, why was your interest in kind of the high end tasting menu side of the culinary scene? Never as, why did it never like take hold in the same way? Well, it's, that's, an, it? that's a really interesting question because I don't even know if you know this, but when I was in my twenties, um, when you were a trader, yeah, my trading days and even a little before that. Yeah. Um, I had some really good friends who were Spanish, uh, you know, childhood friends kind of thing. And we would get together and cook together and do all this. And at that time, that was really when I started learning how to cook. And my natural inclination was to cook en cuisine. I wanted to know about that in that era. And with the Spanish guys and a few other guys, we started something called the Gastronomic Society. The Spanish, we would get together and have Ripper and Fun and, you know, doing, doing all this stuff. And um, they were like, we should start a Basque Gastronomic Society. We have so much fun. So anyway, long story short, we, we did that in my youth for about, I'm going to guess, 12 years. And if you will, it was actually written about in Forbes. <laughs> magazine way back when in an incredibly bad way it was like <laughs> no women please or something was the <laughs> so if you you could probably find this and post it and it wouldn't make it it's nothing that i'm proud of but we never really saw it that way we always had ladies as guests and all that but it was yeah. based off of the men's clubs of the basque country spain so mm. uh i did cook a lot of high-end stuff and i was very interested in my 20s and checking out a lot of high-end restaurants but after a while i just uh really really thought i want to know what everyday people are eating in places that i just have no idea about so the world was just wide open with that living in chicago yeah i mean i remember opportunities came up for for you to eat at alinea or wherever and you'd always have no interest yeah and i mean that's no it wasn't yeah it was no statement on them it was just where my head was at yeah yeah, and I, I just thought it would be a, a waste, you know. In your 20s in Chicago, what were the fancier tasting menu restaurants? Uh, boy, you know, when you ask a guy in his 60s, <laughs> uh, the big name ones, let's see, Everest. Yeah. And of, the the biggest one I think that was most significant was Le Français in Wheeling, a guy named Jean Marchais. Yeah, was it? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was uh, uh, Bill Kim worked yep. there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and did I think Rob Levitt too? Maybe for a minute. I'm not sure about that. But, maybe uh, I'm making that up. Yeah, I, I know we had two guests who mentioned it. Yeah, but that was pretty much the heaviest hitting restaurant in that era. I would say when, and it was taken over by uh, uh, oh, I'm. I think Rob mentioned it as somebody he consulted for a dish or something. I will stand by that. <laughs> Roll, Roll, Roland Lucioni. Okay, took it over. I don't know if you know of him, mm-hmm. but yeah, Roland took it over from Bullshit. Yeah, and then, so you started off with food, but then at some point you got into cocktails. I mean, you obviously, you have a huge wine background, so on and so forth, that maybe we won't even get into, but when did you start to get interested in drinks? How did that happen? Well, what's interesting is living in Chicago, um, you know, in the 80s and 90s, if you had the sentiment of the beauty of the cocktail environment, you were always in pursuit of a professional bartender, at least I was. And 
there wasn't anything really like that except for, you know, the old steakhouses and old time, you know, gentlemen that, you know, were working at those types of places. But there was mm-hmm. really no cocktail bars. So when it, I was always kind of looking for it. And when it started happening, what, it maybe. Yeah, like two, late 2000s in the late aughts. Like, I mean, yeah. Violet R and Ouija's were yeah, 2007 Exactly. But, you know, we would go to like the. Uh, Map room or a matchbox, yeah, mm, yeah, That's and that was probably matchbox and um, toy around a little with the clipper, you know, back then. But when the cocktail thing really took off, that was just phenomenal for me. It was something that I was waiting for, and we really kind of tried to dig in as hard as we could with that and learn and uh, as much as we could. I knew nothing about it, and to this day, I still know very little about cocktails per se, yeah. I mean. Uh, one f- fond memory that I have, which will be a fun transition, is uh, we, <clears throat> so I don't know if it was Ronnie or you, someone had just, you know, wanted to check out this place called Guildhall in Glencoe. Mm-hmm. And we discovered that uh, Kyle Davidson from the Violet Hour was running their, their cocktail menu. Hmm. And he actually was, was holding down shifts behind the bar. And it was like super wild because Kyle's responsible for like some really famous you know, cult classic cocktails, um, and just had a great pedigree. So one day we all went up to Guildhall and Glencoe to check out Kyle in, in the flesh. You don't tell that story, Rob. I don't know if this is the single most embarrassing story of my life <laughs> or, or it's also second. The, it's also the but same day that, uh, that you met my wife. That's right. Well, that's why uh, that that's like, it's the cherry on top. Okay, so we go to this. Uh, you have to refresh my name. Guildhall mm-hmm. in yeah. Winnetka? In, in Glencoe. Oh, in Glencoe. Glencoe. Yeah. Guildhall, we make their uniforms. Oh, really? If I'm not mistaken, they wear our army green herringbone aprons and chambray shirts. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. It's all up here. <laughs> I got them all. <laughs> nice. So, um, of course, we had a few co- uh, pre-dinner cocktails, and we were intending to go to this new restaurant at the time, I believe, called Fat Rice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And but normally we would drink in the neighborhood, you know, uh, bars in the city, but R- R- Ronnie wanted to go to this place this time, so we did. And I had, I'm not proud to say it, but I had, you know, a lot to drink like everybody else, and I... I drove myself there, and you guys drove separately. And uh, I was with you, I think. Yeah, I was with you, I think. Yeah. I don't doubt that for a second, but I don't remember. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Any, <laughs> anyway, I'm an avid cigar smoker, and I get, out, I, and I get out of the guild hall, and I fire up a cigar for the ride back to the city just to get through the traffic. Up, gas is low. Let's stop. <laughs> Go to the gas station, filling up the tank, and I'm smoking because I'm an idiot, right? <laughs> I'm just not caring at all. And so the thing's done, and I go to pull out the the pump, and I'm holding it, and I'm compressing. I'm not letting it out, <laughs> and it spray showers me. I get completely bathed, Zoolander style. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh, man. So, uh, so I have, uh, I'm amazed that I didn't die. <laughs> That's unbelievable. <laughs> so Danny, you were there for this? No. So I think, I think Rob's right. I think he was solo, but he Ooh. comes, this is, there's two parts. I don't even know if Rob remembers. I'm sure he does. But first part of which we go to Guildhall, we drink, we, we are going to go to fat rice, but there's an interim stop at Longman first. So we go and meet at Longman to have a drink and Rob walks in and just like reeking of gasoline because he's just doused himself in (laughs) gasoline. It's like I just got out of the shower. And the manager at the time, I think, was Alana and Alana set like basically I see like kind of chaos in the background and people think there's like a gas (laughs) pipe that's like leaking or something. And it's just, yeah, so like they're but they're like kind of like. What is going on? And then, like, we end up leaving Longman to go to Fat Rice, where Ellie's meeting us. And Fat Rice has a wait. And at the time, like, I guess it was the season where there's like the vestibule in front. So we're all trapped in the vestibule with Rob waiting for this table. And Rob is like covered in gas. Yeah. And I think that Trix 
you rob was like should i just hang out in the car and just like no should i go home and take a shower clean up and come back and and christina says absolutely and me in my drunken place here oh no you're fine (laughs) (laughs) so ellie comes into the vestibule to meet rob for the first time like i mean that wasn't the sole purpose but they happen to meet for the first time that night and Rob is just like covered in gas. <laughs> and then we had a meal with Rob covered in gas in Fat Rice. Yeah. My maiden meal with Ellie. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you had to tell, let's that... see, we've talked about the, the, the wasabi u- incident, <laughs> the urinator one and two. Okay, so. Yeah, what did Rob ever do to you? Do you, do you guys know any good lawyers? <laughs> oh, Max Shapiro? Man. Yeah, my brother, real estate. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I don't know, Tim. I think that like I'm curious where you're at in the Rob story. You know, <laughs> I, Rob's, Rob's moniker was Pigman on the LTH forum. Okay, and which kind of uh, is a hint back to your old life uh, on the trading floor. Right. So yeah, yeah how, should we talk a little trading floor? Yeah. How long were that's you, where were you yeah, there? Tim, when did, did you that? trade? Do you guys want this interview to go crashing right now? <laughs> <laughs> we can edit anything out. Well, how did Pigman become your nickname? <laughs> Was that your uh, acronym on your badge? No, I wore a uh, trading uh, jacket that had pigs on it. So <laughs> when I oh. first started trading in this new pit, were you trading pork of, belly? I was trading soybean me- uh, meal oh. at the time, and. Some guy was trying to trade with me, and he yells out, "Hey, Pigman, I'll sell you." <laughs> so that, that's where it's so started. everybody in in this uh, you know pit would say, "Hey, Pigman," uh, so just <laughs> such a good nickname. So what well, you brought it? What on years yourself? were you on the floor? And this was at, this was had to be at the Burke. No, all at, at the board. I at never, the board? Okay. Yeah. No, I started in uh, 1982 and traded till 2008. Okay, 2008 is when I entered. I was at the Euro Dollar Option pit. Huh. So back back how then, how many different pits are there? Just one? Now there's hardly any. Um, yeah. How many were there then? <clears throat> well, Euro Dollar Option was the biggest one when I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, there there was I mean it was kind of like it was past its heyday when I was there. Like there were maybe a couple guys standing around with tablets and like soybeans or corn or whatever. But it was like. How many pits? So my fir- my very first day on the job, this is my first job out of college. It was the first day of full integration with the Merck moving over to the Board of Trade. Mm-hmm. So our office was still across the street from the Merck, and we'd walk over to the board every morning. But I was only there for like a year and a half, so I didn't, I didn't get very far. Um, <clears throat> but I'm curious, when you were there, was Jerky Guy on the floor? Do you remember Jerky Guy? <laughs> that rings a bell. Because my wife worked at the SIBO at the same time I was there. We'd never cross paths that i'm aware of mm-hmm. but um she knew jerky guy too and this guy Where? the joke was that this is bringing it full circle with mike sula the joke was that the meat was squirrel meat <laughs> and that this guy was trapping squirrels and making jerky but jerky guy was a guy who had like a fake trader jacket and badge and he would come on to the floor like there's pretty hardcore security at, at the board of trade and you're not supposed to bring food onto the floor so as a clerk i that was like part of my job was like smuggling food you know, do you remember prison chicken there's like a place across the street from the from a prison that's like on oh, oh on like that. right behind the SIBO. And so like it was a big day when you get prison chicken. They they'd go and they bring like these we'd have to smuggle these giant tubs of like mm-hmm. fried chicken onto the floor. Um but anyway, so he he <laughs> this guy would somehow every day he'd find his way onto the floor. He'd get past security. I think he was probably bribing them with jerky, but he had like a duffel bag and he would just kind of go around and just kinda like, Hey, you need any jerky? And he had like yeah. a bunch of different flavors. He had some really spicy ones. He also had four different hairstyles mm. going at the same time. He was bald, but he had a mullet that was curled like a perm, and then he also had bangs. Definitely sounds like a guy who belongs there. <laughs> he was always jerky drenched guy. in sweat and like bright red, but that was jerky. This guy. is an amazing. Is it ringing character. any? Is it ringing any bells for you? I it sounds like an SNL. You skit. know what? It, when it you're sure there does. that long and you meet thousands and thousands of people, you know, no, you don't forget you're a jerky gonna, guy. You're gonna forget some. Uh, you know, there is um, one story, uh, food-wise, that I find really fascinating with that era. And there was a guy in the day, in the '70s, '80s, even '90s, and he still has places today, but. A guy named uh, Bernakis, I think first name George Bernakis. But the Bernakis family owned every single restaurant in and around 
the Chicago Board of Trade in multiple buildings. They, you know, probably had upwards of seven or eight. But these restaurants used to feed everybody in the heyday, the pit days, with thousands of people. And this guy was in charge of all that. And I always thought he was one of the most fascinating food people ever, how he was able to do this and integrate himself in this. Hmm. Yeah. Worth, worth researching. I, I wonder you can if imagine, he's still around. As a clerk, I got to know all the restaurants very intimately did on you my know, food runs. Did you know the, what's his name? Bacchus Bernardes. No, I, I didn't. Sellers, I think. You know, okay, the downstairs. Yeah, yeah. He's yep. always owned the main lobby restaurant. and But anyway, I just put that on the hmm. map. You know, Do you remember since, Scrine Chops? Sure. I used to trade with uh, Scrine. Yeah, yeah, so Scrine, the guy, was a trader. And then he had this just this killer pork right. chop and like mashed potato sandwich and then opened a brick and mortar yeah. right across from the world. It was so good. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, gone yeah. now, but that hmm. was like a yeah. special treat. I'm loving these grind chops. Trader stories. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm getting the world painted for me. Jerk sure. guy. Sure. I think I learned more about food than trading working there. <laughs> I know I did. <laughs> so we've told Rob's most embarrassing stories. Um, but yeah, tell us. You said you wanted to talk about what makes Maddie or Paul at like oh, a Hall of Fame. Yeah, very. Yeah. Uh, that whole thing about uh, discovering professional bartenders is such a wonderful thing you know, to be able to step into the types of cocktail bars that you routinely see here in Chicago where people really, really aren't just looking at it like it's some job. And they want to be doing something else. No, they're looking at it as a profession and there's a real love. And so when we would walk in and really, really enjoy learning about it and taking it like probably a number of other people uh, at the time, uh, it was there was just a great synergy between behind and in front of the bar. And, and I just thought it was uh, real, real special. And we were able to meet, you know, guys like Danny, who became great friends and. Uh, a number of people, but I think Chicago, in my opinion, um, I used to do a lot more traveling than I do now, but um, I never felt that any other city came close to Chicago in terms of that organic connection between bartender and patron. Yeah. That I was always, could I put you down on it here? You could, you know, there were always rules. There was too many people. There wasn't the knowledge. There wasn't the passion. Um, And I'm not saying there aren't great bars everywhere because there are. But Chicago was really something uh, for a long time, and I can't speak to it today. I have no idea where it's at, but it would be surprising to me that it still didn't carry on today. Yeah, yeah, it's still alive and well. So when you, as a patron, when you go into a, a bar, how are you looking at that cocktail menu? And what are there shortcuts to uh, to kind of real to to see if there is there a litmus test like this bar knows what they're doing? This this bartender knows what they're doing. Are there questions you ask? How See, do you how do you snuff out a good good cocktail bar or good cocktail program? You could def- cocktail tin comes flying in the air. <laughs> oh, was that Rob that yeah, you yeah, Rob tricks? <laughs> Rob can embarrass me now. No, you return. you did a good job. That what was it with Paul? Yeah, yeah. No, you were. Uh, <laughs> what was it? Eight stitches on the forehead. <laughs> no, seriously, I was only in the ER for a short period of time. Yeah, you're speaking uh, mostly normally again. <laughs> yeah, Rob. I mean, drinks martinis. Like what? How many different yeah, I'm a purist, and I'm probably the last guy to ask about that. My interest is actually more uh, the social element and okay. the connection. The hospitality, and, yeah. And the hospitality, but also I'm interested in the pure spirit. Okay. Yeah, he's... So I love mezcal. Yeah. I love straight gin. I like stir gin, up, twist, that type of thing. I no, very few times I want cocktails... They'll happen, but it's not. I'm, that's not really my thing. Mm-hmm. So um, I you know, would save that energy and talk to somebody who actually has more to say. Let me just adjust my gratuity round. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but similar to you know, Carnan Zuhugo or some of these food uh, rabbit holes, Rob has similarly kind of gone the same way uh, with mezcal. Yes, I assume you know Lou Bank. Yeah, yep. They travel uh, together. So Lou's a classic example of. And I didn't find it on my own. Somebody led me there. And Lou, I met at a Ronnie Kaplan holiday party, brought a jug of mezcal. It was 
sitting up on the the bar that Danny was working. Yep. I'm like, what the hell's this? Try it. And I think we drank half the jug of it that night because we <laughs> loved it. And then I and went straight to the gas we went, station. <laughs> we went straight to uh, Lou and we're like, oh my God, this stuff's not with Lou. Hey, I'm going to Oaxaca uh, in three weeks. Why don't you come? Okay. So that was the beginning. It was all from Lou. And Lou was an amazing, you know, source because, you know, these pre-COVID, the five years pre-COVID, I would go every year for a month at least to Oaxaca and base myself down there and um, learn about Mezcal. And most of the sources that in connections I had did come through Lou. Um, He's incredible. What are some things about Mezcal that you'd want people to know or common misconceptions, maybe? Um, I don't know if this is really directly answering your question, but, you know, to me, when you go down there and you see it, the, you know, the stuff being made in the villages, it's really, really a spiritual drink. Yeah. It's a magical drink. And um, that. You know, that's what really interests me, like that whole thing about going into these villages and, you know, seeing how they care for it, how they treat it. It's not a, just a business. It's Yeah, it's, it doesn't seem like a business at all when you're there. Right. Yeah, it's a tradition. Yeah, but I don't know if I answer your question. No, that's cool. Um, what's your collection looking like these days? Just one bottle? Oh, no, I, I just <laughs> shipped. Uh, I just did a road trip uh, within the last year. How many liters do you think you have? 200 plus yeah <laughs> we have to have a party yeah you guys are all invited do you think you've eclipsed lou? what's you think you've eclipsed lou yet no you, have you seen lou's basement yeah I have, lou yeah. sleeps on a pile of mezcal he has a, he has a <laughs> water a med- bed a mezcal water bed yeah. <laughs> oh man yeah what about favorite you know distillers favorite varietals there's a couple of guys down in the south, uh, this area called Miahuatlan, that uh, I like uh, a guy named Victor Ramos and his son Emmanuel Ramos. And uh, I like Felipe Cortez and Ajo Cortez yeah. a lot. I like their stuff. The boys, uh, uh, who is, I'm forgetting the name, uh, up north that are doing the Bulls fermented mezcal that we were talking about pre-interview mm-hmm. here, uh, do beautiful stuff. Um, that must but, be what Rob Levitt has then. Yeah, I, I would be surprised if it, it's possible, but uh, with the sources of people, the circles that he would f- most likely come in contact with, they would probably mm-hmm. lead him t- to this one guy. Cool. It's yeah. Very rare. It's very rare stuff. Hmm. Well, before we hit the gratuity round, is there anything that we haven't gotten to that you'd like to... One last chance to embarrass Danny. No, I just yeah. want to know what your handicap is now in golf. <laughs> yeah, Danny. <laughs> I'm a six and a half currently. Wow. Well, look, he happens, doesn't even make know. a joke about it. He goes straight, was that putt-putt? Yeah, it's a putt-putt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm six and a half over on a putt-putt course. This episode is brought to you by Scofflaw Old Tom Gin, a tasty, versatile spirit. Created in Chicago in 2012, the product was born out of a need for a bespoke iteration of the Old Tom style, which is the slightly sweeter predecessor to London Dry. Scofflaw Old Tom Gin carries classic notes of orange peel, juniper, and coriander while balancing on a subtle floral edge thanks to the addition of osmanthus blossoms. Its elevated proof is suitable in cocktails or unadorned. Scofflaw Old Tom Gin, complete your bar. All right, cool. Let's get after it then. What is your death row meal? Okay, I gave it some thought. Am I going on a light stomach or am I going to pull like a John Wayne Gacy nine course? (laughs) Gacy. Gacy? No. (laughs) I think it would have to be a martini and oyster starting. Okay. Followed up by an uni hand roll. Mm. And then some ethnic version of chicken and rice in some fashion or another and and i love that's my primordial thing but i think that would be pretty close that's solid that's the uh mad men roger and don the oysters and (laughs) and martinis um (laughs) broken elevator all right that's enough of that uh what's your favorite (laughs) dish to cook Ooh. 
I like making uh, tortilla patata, Spanish uh, potato yeah. omelet. You know, yeah. it's a, it a tapas, it's a very classic Spanish tapas. Okay. Yeah, Spanish tortilla. Is there a sauce on that? No, it's just like a plain. Really? You just make it ahead of time. You just kind of cut it apart. Okay. Egg, egg, potato, omelet, little. Onion, usually. Little. Is onion. that your standard breakfast? Well, it is when you have leftovers from the night before. Yeah. It's an outstanding breakfast, but usually there's not. Do you have a favorite tapas restaurant? Uh, you mean in Chicago? Anywhere. Uh, no. I don't. <laughs> I, I am so out of the loop on that. I have no idea. All right. Uh, what is your favorite hidden gem restaurant? I mean, I guess you mentioned Let's Zaragoza. Do, yeah. but I think we should amend it a little bit and do like a top three like if you're coming to Chicago because you don't live here anymore but things yeah, that you crave when, you're, in, yeah. when you're back home in Vermont yeah no I I think <clears throat> the one that it comes immediately to mind and this is definitely uh, at this point it might be known I don't know it's called Charcoal Flame it does homemade pork euros located in Skokie or Morton Grove Niles out that way I, uh, on I believe Golf, no, uh, Waukegan and Dempster. What's okay. the name again? It's called Charcoal Flame. Charcoal Flame. Yeah, mm. and it, it does really, really good euros. Okay. All right, so that's, yeah. that's a great tip. Yeah. What about the other couple? Oh, it drops off dramatically from there. But uh, Wow, Chopperita's not even close in there. Well, you know what? I can't really say that anymore because now that I don't live in town and I don't go there as, you know, I just don't go there. I haven't been there in so long, but it would be on the list. Absolutely. It's on a lot of people's list, and I do want to make a public service announcement that they are closed on Thursdays. They sure are. Ah. And it pranks me and Danny pretty much every week. I was just there last weekend, though. We'll debate where to go for lunch for an hour, and then we'll decide to go to Chaparita. We'll start driving there, and we'll remember. (laughs) That's not a a hidden gem, though, anymore. No. All right. Fair enough. So, Am I being a literalist? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I think with your extensive knowledge of the Chicago food scene, I mean, especially these types of places like Los Gallos number two, I oh. mean, like, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's a good one. Los Gallos number two on... Uh, Archer, is it? Right. Archer. But, you know, what that's I keep coming back to is outside of Chicago, Cheap Eats, there's a place that I'm going to be going to um, this summer up in North Bay, Ontario, North... Bay, where Neil Young's from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. And uh, they do tremendous fish and chips, and it's called Jocko Point. Jocko Point. Yeah, and All it's, right, we'll go it's, there. it's they catch it out, the fish right there. It's beautiful. All so, right, we'll take a anyway, jet. So oh, that's there. it. Cool. All right. Uh, what's your favorite fast food? Oh, the McDouble. McDouble. Okay. Yeah. The the commercial Big Baby. Yeah. Yeah. Now, is, isn't is that the Big Mac, the commercial Big Baby? No. The oh, yeah. You're right. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right, with the right, cheese right. in the middle, the two patties with the yeah. cheese. Yeah. yeah cl- is a daily double just that with lettuce, tomato, and mayo? What's the daily? Like from Jeopardy? You ever heard of a daily? Isn't that what it's called? The daily? <laughs> no, no, I think it's something different. Am I, am I having a Maybe stroke? Maybe not, yeah. <laughs> McDonald's <laughs> Daily Double? Well, it's a Jeopardy Daily Double. E, well, yeah. I don't know no, much. I don't know much. The Daily Double. Is that on the menu? Yeah, beef patties, seasoned to perfection, wow. and melty American cheese topped off with I shredded apologize. lettuce, slivered onions, and then it cuts off. My divas condolences. Yeah, it was introduced in 2012, Danny. Yeah. I thought you were a fast food enthusiast. Yeah, man. It's on the menu. <laughs> It was in 2012 for one week only. (laughs) All right. So that was your favorite fast food. Yeah, that's good. And then it says here we have a question for Danny. (laughs) Nice. Danny, I was wondering, (sighs) did you happen to bring your Fernet coin? (laughs) I did not bring my Fernet coin. (laughs) I think you know what to do. Oh, my gosh. This is crazy. We've got a bottle of Fernet in the studio. I think that Tim had mentioned this idea before, and I did not think that it would actually... Uh, and there happens to be a glass right behind Danny for pouring. Oh my gosh! I'm so stoked to do this before I pick up my son. <laughs> hey, 
Talk that's to a, the principal. That's a healthy poor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. oh my god. Here's gosh. my Afrinet coin from I, uh, hey, Rob or Tim. Would you like to join me in this? 2014. Rob, you want to do one? Sure. Oh. These are uh, loose, so they're probably not clean. <laughs> There's a little bit of uh, evaporated mezcal in those. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. All right. Cheers. Cheers. You got to keep it on you. <laughs> Lesson Cheers. learned, I guess. <laughs> All right, we'll get back to the questions here. Uh, what is, I will ask, what's your favorite cocktail? Are we going martini? Yeah, I I don't like to call martini because I hate vermouth. That well, You and I have a vermouth story if we have time. Yeah, oh, yeah, I'm into that. I love straight gin so much that when a bartender accidentally puts in vermouth, like even just a drop or two, I like to think I could pick it up, and I uh, call it, but I just really don't like it at all. And one time you and I went out, and what, you said, hey, I'll have what you're having. Do you remember this? Uh-uh. We were, I remember uh, the Wolfie we were, story. We were That's in front favorite. of uh, Eric Henry from Sleeping Village, Whistler <laughs> fame. Yeah. And He's the best. Shout out to Eric Henry. Eric Henry is the best. Love that guy. Yeah, he's phenomenal. But uh, he was in front of us, made the drinks. We get our drinks. I, in the prick sort of fashion, go, oh, damn, he put some vermouth in here. You go, no, no, he didn't. (laughs) I go, I'll bet you anything he did. Eric, did you accidentally put in some vermouth? Oh, oh, so sorry. (laughs) <laughs> wow wow he sniffed it out oh, i thought he was another hilarious story of uh rob asking for something without it's a uh, standard component mm. is the uh, chicago hot dog from wolfie's one time rob does not like relish on a hot dog right that's that correct I, yeah and it was so funny we go to wolfie's on peterson right and uh, i'd never been there we order our you know just basic chicago dogs whatever and rob's very specific like hey no relish please you know whatever very uh very direct and we come back to our table with the hot dogs and rob bites into his his hot dog and sure enough there's relish so he opens the hot dog up and on one side he sees the relish so he spends like a good amount of time like getting it out of there puts it back together takes another bite and opens it up again the other side of the bun also had relish lucky lucky oh, man. Man. you can't so blame him that that's muscle memory you're reaching for that relish when you're in chicago but the double prank was so funny oh man yeah uh, all right what uh what trivia category would you dominate Oh. Carney and Suhugo? That you know, I listen to your podcast, and every time I hear that, I go, I have no idea what it would be. Actually, what the only Peter one, Angler and this trivia? is so completely stupid, is uh, Bordeaux wine labels. Wow, growth, wine labels. growth, premier. You know, like the f- growth wine yeah. labels. Yeah, I think you I would also, dominate in that. I think you dominate <laughs> NBA pre '98 too, right? Uh, uh, that'd be okay up until the second retirement. Yeah, Rob was a huge fan of the NBA for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Right? Definitely. Well, oh, what about Lebowski? You dominate there. Oh, you're helping me out tremendously. Big yeah. Lebowski? He's yeah. watched it no less than... God, What's know. Mrs. Lebowski's first name? Mrs. Lebowski's name is... Well, you're saying uh, Julia... Tara Reed's character. Oh, I don't know. No, yes, you do. Bunny, right? Oh, bunny. Bu- yeah. It's bunny. bunny. Yeah. What color... <laughs> Is the nail polish she's applying when the dude meets her? I think I, I think I know the answer. See, I, I only know so it because I watched. It I rest my case. I have you, Danny. You was it orange? It's green. Oh, okay. because when they have the severed toe, it's got green, green nail polish on it. <laughs> but Rob's seen it like hundreds of times. Yeah, it's have, it's but, one of the very best. Yeah, fantastic. That not raising Arizona. But I wouldn't say I would dominate it because of you know senility or whatever. Sure, we'll chalk <laughs> it up to that. <laughs> All right, uh, and what is? Although I will say one thing, mm-hmm. a, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Matt Zatkoff. Yep. Like was at the was at the first um, uh, Lebowski Fest in Louisville, Kentucky, the very first oh. one, and they had a, a bowling match or whatever you call it, and he won. Did he lick the ball first? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Danny, you were a little Lebowski urban achiever, were you not? Yeah. <laughs> Jeffrey. Yeah. That's a Jeffrey. I think so. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, all right. And then, so normally this would be our last question, but we got a review on Apple Podcasts that they don't like the episodes ending on a negative note. So this is now our penultimate question. Oh, good. Because we we do take our reviews very seriously. Don't forget, don't <laughs> yeah, forget to leave should... positive reviews only. They did give us five stars. But they did note that it's, and I agree, we shouldn't, it's such a positive, upbeat podcast. That's Mostly, not, it's against yeah. our brand yeah. to to throw hate at the end. So this is our penultimate question. Here you go. Something that bars or restaurants do that might annoy you. Yeah, that one's really easy for me. Mm-hmm. And that's when the, your your face is buried in the menu and the server comes up to you and say, are you ready for me to take your order? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm surprised that's the first time this has come up. Yeah, it's amazing to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had an experience happen once at one of these high-end restaurants that changed my life with that uh, in France where my buddy and I, he was a big wine a friend of mine, we spent like literally an hour and a half looking at the menus and talking about it. Nobody bothered us the whole time. And as soon as we shut the thing, wow. right there. And mm. I was like, that now we're talking. Yeah, that's nice. Mm. All right, and now the last question. This is custom tailored to you. What is the craziest thing that you saw on the trading floor? Because I know <laughs> Other than stuff goes man. down. Jerky. Other than jerky the, cra- guy. <laughs> the craziest thing I ever saw, and it was gruesome. And um, I'm going to give any one of your listeners an opportunity to uh, either shut off or not listen because it was pretty gory. It was a... Uh, afternoon that was leading up to a major holiday. I forgot what. So usually most of the guys are gone, and mm-hmm. there's only 10% of the guys there, and I happen to be there. So that allowed me to stand in a very, very advantageous part of the pit, which I normally didn't. And the guy next to me, the broker, taps me and says, I want to do this trade with you that's about 100 times larger than I ever would do, <laughs> the risk. And I'm like, I guess I got to do it. So I put it on. It's like by far the biggest risk I've ever taken in my career. And right as that happens, the biggest trader of the era was a guy named Tom Baldwin. And he gets in an argument with some guy next to him and takes his pen and goes, stabs this guy right in the eyeball and blood is just shooting out. (laughs) This is literally four seconds after I put this position on in the pit. And everybody shuts out. So it's every trader's nightmare is, I believe, um, you put on a big position and then everybody walks out of the pit and you can't do anything with it. (laughs) This was literally that. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's a tremendous story to end on. It's a great one to end on. Whatever happened to Baldwin? Uh, I don't know. Life in prison. I don't really keep track with many people from that era just a couple he's yeah. serving eyeball skewers <laughs> in prison <laughs> all right rob thanks so much for joining yeah, us it's it a lot of fun thanks for being fun. here a lot of people don't know but the reason our episodes are this length is because this is how long it takes for us to sweat through our clothes in the studio <laughs> <laughs> <What>? <laughs> And that concludes our conversation with Rob Lopata. Thanks so much for listening. And don't forget to check us out on Instagram at JoinersPod for exclusive content. I'm talking about cocktails from our very own Danny Shapiro, throwback photos, and reels. A veritable cornucopia of content. You could definitely say that. Coming your way on a weekly basis. Yes. And as always, this episode was produced by Matt Haddock, music by Captain Cuts, and our video work by the one and only Joe Guzzo III. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.